Make first trade your first stop for free stock trading. Why pay commissions when you don't have to? Proudly serving customers since 1985, First Trade offers a full line of products and tools designed to help investors like you take control of your financial future. First Trade has a highly intuitive user interface, outstanding customer service, along with mobile applications. Whether you are a new investor or an active trader, make First Trade your first choice. Sign up at krobcollection.com. First Trade, member FINRA SIPC. WGAR now presents Sunday Digest, a program featuring interesting conversation with people making a difference in Northeast Ohio and around the nation with award-winning broadcaster Ken Robinson. And now here's Ken and Sunday Digest on WGAR. Good morning and welcome to our special Mother's Day edition of Sunday Digest. We're going to talk with former Clevelander Dr. Sherry Thurher about her book, The Myths of Motherhood. She feels society hasn't always been kind to moms. Plus, best-selling author Harriet Lerner stops by. She'll update us on the state of motherhood today. But first, Mother's Day is the perfect time to remind mom to get a mammogram. Joining us now is Jerry Rousekamp of the Ohio Department of Health. Jerry, are we seeing more cases of breast cancer here in Ohio? Actually, what we're probably seeing is more open talk about breast cancer in that can be obviously a very good thing. The more women hear about it, the more it might sink home that, well, my gosh, I'm a woman. Um, I, therefore, am at some risk of developing breast cancer. And the best that we really can do is to detect it very, very early. Um, if detected very, very early, at least 97% of women are doing quite well five years later. Are a lot of women still too scared to get a mammogram, fearing that they might learn about something they don't want to learn about? Absolutely. We have uh, done some focus groups in the past and talked to women about their feelings of getting a mammogram. And certainly the fear of finding something is, is out there in many women's minds. What about the warning signs, warning signs that uh, women should not ignore? Um, some are a little more subtle than others, but uh, some of the more overt ones that really should make a woman immediately seek medical assistance would be if there is a, a dimpling in the breast. And actually one good way to, to find that is to, with, um, you know, without a blouse or a brassiere on and with hands on hips, is to look at oneself in the mirror and lean forward a little bit. And if there is a pulling or a retraction or a dimpling in any of the breasts, that is something that should be checked out by a healthcare provider. Uh, if the nipple has spontaneous discharge, especially if there's any blood involved, uh, that should be checked out. If the woman notices um, a newly inverted nipple, and I add the caveat newly because uh, for some women that's normal, um, that should be checked out. So really any physical changes in the breast that weren't there before you know, obviously it's changed. So if you notice something that seems unusual, it wasn't there before, that should be checked out by a healthcare provider. And for women who are performing breast self-exam, uh, if one notices a lump, um, that certainly should be checked out as well. And that's not to say that, you know, all lumps 
are uh, problematic in terms of breast cancer, still it's best to have everything checked out if you're not sure. Actually, the vast majority of lumps found by women um, you know, turn out not to be breast cancer. How often should women have mammograms? Women over 40 should have a mammogram every year. The reason they kind of wait until the age of 40 is a woman is more likely to get breast cancer the older she is. So as women age, the risk of breast cancer increases. But also, starting at about the age of 40 or so, the structure of the breast starts to change. It becomes less dense, and the actual um, X-ray or photograph that's taken by the mammogram is easier to read. Whereas a younger woman's breast is more dense, and it shows up more white on a mammogram. And if a tumor, should there be one, is also showing up as white, it's very, very difficult to see it. And it's always good to get one. It's better to be safe and sorry, and it's not going to go away by ignoring it. Oh, absolutely. And, and that could, that's certainly true for uh, most of the health issues that we face. Or, uh, you know, There are certainly some things that our bodies just can't take care of on their own, and they do need medical intervention. Well, really appreciate the interview. Certainly. And the voice of Jerry Rouskamp of the Ohio Department of Health reminding women of the need to have regular mammograms. And you're listening to our special Mother's Day edition of Sunday Digest. I'm Ken Robinson on WGAR. I'm Ken Robinson, and joining me in the studio now is Dr. Harriet Lerner, who's author of The Mother Dance, How Children Change Your Life. Dr. Lerner is a psychologist and a psychotherapist at the Menninger Clinic in Kansas and also writes a column for New Woman magazine. She's married and has two sons. Thanks for joining us on Sunday Digest. Now, you're based in Topeka, Kansas. Do you think mothers raise kids differently in different parts of the country? I don't think kids are raised differently in different parts of the country, and I think there are certain universal aspects to what we learn being a mother. For example, what motherhood taught me was humility. Before I had kids, I was amazed at the improper behavior of other mothers, and I knew that I would never do any of those improper things, and I'd never yell at my kids or fight with my husband in front of them or feed them at McDonald's, and I wasn't going to be a worrier because my mother was a worrier, and I wasn't going to do that. And of course I did all of those things and more because we don't have a clue what our kids will evoke in us until after we have them. So I think whether you're raising your kids in New York, California, Topeka, Nebraska, there are some things that we all feel. I mean, like the tremendous exhaustion and protectiveness and love and worry. You know, I, I never anticipated that I would worry so much mm -hmm. about my children, about something bad happening to them. Mm -hmm. So I think those things are pretty universal. Oh, that's why I guess that's why your book is called The Mother Dance. 
I, is there concern that mothers are doing too much dancing, doing too much worrying, trying to be everything to to their children, trying to uh, you know uh, nurture them, take them everywhere, help them experience everything, guide them, counsel counsel them, and hold down a full time job at the same time? I think it's very hard to be a mother in particular. Because still today, far too much is expected of mothers and far too little is expected of fathers. I thought this was the age of the caring husband, the caring dad, the dad who's fully involved. But you're you're indicating that's not the case? I think it is the age of the caring dad. The men that I work with and talk to express a deep longing for the father that they did not have, the father who who was either geographically absent or emotionally not present. And these fathers are really dedicated to wanting to be closer to their children than they were to their own fathers. And I think that they achieve that. The dilemma comes in that the that old role of man the breadwinner, that old definition of masculinity as something that you have to prove over and over again to other men in the form of achieving status, money, success, makes it so hard for the man to go to his boss and negotiate a shorter Mm workday, say, when when kids are little. Do women still have that expectation, too? That the expectation of what? That men still be, you know, the the breadwinner, the the guy who's in control of his career and is moving upward. I think that women do. I think that despite feminism and despite new economic times, there are certain myths we haven't gotten past. Do you think uh, a lot of women are micromanagers today, that they're micromanaging every aspect of, their, uh, of, of child rearing and child raising and pushing the men aside saying, I'll let you know when to step in? That's a really interesting question because it's true that mothers are desperate to father for fathers to be more involved. But it's also true sometimes that when dads get involved, the mother may be looking <laughs> over their shoulder. <laughs> you know, so I really advise mothers to get out of the house, you know, if they can't resist their tendency to sort of be the manager or supervisor and leave that dad alone with the child and relate to his competence because the competence really only comes from experience. And the fact is that if, you know, the mother is hit by a big truck tomorrow, you want that dad to be as competent as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing about mothers is that there's so much guilt. There's so much guilt. And our society encourages mothers to cultivate guilt like a little flower garden. Mm. Wow. (laughs) We're talking to Dr. Harriet Lerner, who's author of the book, The Mother Dance, How Children Change Your Life. I'm Ken Robinson. You're listening to WGAR. Do you think a lot of mothers and fathers realize how much, how much of an impact children do have on their lives? I think you realize it intellectually, but there's no way until you have the child that you really realize it. Do you think it's harder for parents today raising kids than in the past. I know we make a lot of assumptions that it is, but is it really? I think it's a mixed bag. Um, I have a lot more fears as a parent about violence, and we're all thinking about that after the Littleton tragedy. And so there, there are some aspects that are harder. The world is more difficult in some ways. But 
You know, there are no good old days to go back to. And when I think about my mom, who was who is now 90, when she was a mother, she had no opportunities. She basically sacrificed so much of herself. In a certain way, she exchanged her own life for the daughters that she had born. And that's not ideal either. So, I mean, there was a lot wrong with the good old days. Mm -hmm. The good old days were based on quite a bit of conformity and suppression of differences, and nobody knew what was going on in anybody else's household. So we have a lot of problems today. But I, for one, would hide under my house before I would return to the so-called <laughs> good old days. The uh, New York Times bestseller, The Mother Dance, How Children Change Your Life by Dr. Harriet Lerner. Thanks for joining us on WGAR. My pleasure. And I'm Ken Robinson, and you're listening to FM 99.5 WGAR. Jesus and Mama always loved me. Even when the devil took control Jesus and Mom always loved me This I know And you're listening to our special Mother's Day edition of Sunday Digest. Joining us in the studio now is former Clevelander Dr. Sherry Thurher, author of the book The Myths of Motherhood published by Penguin. She's currently a Boston University psychology professor and runs a private practice. First of all, Doctor, why did you name your book The Myths of Motherhood? Well, I decided to have a child, and I was so scared during my training because I was taught to think that everybody did it wrong. Every time we'd get a psychological case, and um, it it seemed that mother was blamed, and I thought to myself, oh, my God, I I couldn't do better than that. (laughs) So I began to question where did we get these ideas and what is all about and what is a good mother? Mm-hmm. Now, has motherhood really changed, I, I guess, as far as uh, uh, motherhood's, uh, how motherhood impacts on oh, the family? Yes. I mean, the, uh, the ideas about what constitutes a good mother has it's changed 180 degrees. It flip-flops back and forth. Hmm. Today, we're, we're very labor-intensive, and the advice is very ambiguous, and we're supposed to be psychologically tuned in to our child and all empathic, and um, we're supposed to cognitively stimulate appropriately at every developmental level. Well, the reason I ask is because it seems like the more things change, the more things stay the <laughs> same. <laughs> are, are kids being raised or or developed the same way as they well, did years no, ago? Well, actually, after the 1950s, persisting until now, it pretty much is is different than than any other time in history because we're so psychologically tuned in. I mean, there was no psychology back then. Mm-hmm. Psychology is recent, so we never... Um, mothers in the early part of this century didn't care whether their child was mentally healthy or not or emotionally fulfilled. Mm-hmm. I mean, they cared about germs. They wanted to keep their kid clean and alive and polite. Mm-hmm. Well, it was difficult keeping kids alive back then. I I, it was. It sure was. So. <laughs> Well, so parenting has very much changed it's, it's since the 50s. When we think of motherhood, we think of someone who's, who's pure, who's honest, who's just the, the light of the world. Yes, uh, and they are merely human. <laughs> <laughs> they, well, I mean, they can be good. They, can be, they come in all flavors, and um, there are wonderful mothers, and there are awful mothers. They are merely human. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to know that. What is the biggest myth of motherhood? Oh, uh, there are so many, but one that I find particularly interesting is the is the focus on bonding these days, as, as if that bonding is something that happens instantaneously and it's built in and it has to happen or else something awful will happen to your child. And, and that, that it's all a fantasy because, in fact, children can bond later on with their parents. Parents can bond to non-biological children. It isn't just a one-shot deal. And what fascinates me is that in years before, babies were wet-nursed. Nowadays, everyone thinks it's so important to uh, maternal nursing is a big thing. But until the 20th century, huge numbers of babies were sent out to the country to be wet-nursed. They Mm. weren't even with their moms. So there you are, and they grew up. They grew up just fine. Mm -hmm. And what was the reasoning behind that? Well, that has existed since... Time immemorial, if you go back to the first written record, you'll, you'll read about wet nurses, and no one quite knows why they existed. I mean, at certain points in time, it might have been a status symbol. Um, maybe at other times it freed women to do work, but um, there always seemed to be a percentage of women who resisted the idea of nursing their own children. And the only point in history that it stopped was when bottle feeding became safe so that the mothers who didn't want to nurse could use bottle feeding as an alternative. But that's very recent. Mm, recent. It's very recent history. Bottle feeding used to kill babies because of they didn't know about pasteurization. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fascinating because I, I guess there, are no, there were no uh, set rules as far as parenting goes. I guess they've evolved no, and no. they've changed over the oh, century. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and, and there are times when p- people probably didn't even attach to their children the way we do. Well, I remember parents were supposed to be uh, stern and stiff uh, mm-hmm. back in the uh, late 19th century. That mm-hmm. was the, uh, the, the common the ideal parent. The early 20th century had all this very rigorous time bound. Uh, you fed by the clock. And germs were big. You had to keep the, your kid away from germs. You weren't supposed to cuddle too much because that would spread germs. Mm-hmm. Also, around the turn of the century, I, I remember hearing that a lot of women used to abandon their babies, I guess, so women who oh were... Oh, my God. People abandoned their babies up until the popular use of birth control. And they, it, it, this was huge. I mean, this was not a small thing. It still goes on in countries today outside of Western Europe, for instance, India and China, but it, it, it occurred in Western Europe, um, well, we know the Greeks did it very, I mean, at least 10% of their babies were abandoned, mm. the ancient Greeks, and um, it was mostly done out of desperation because their unwed mothers didn't have a way of, of surviving and feeding their child, mm-hmm. or, ha- I mean, it was sometimes done to save the other children. And those periods of time were also periods when women were very disrespected mm-hmm. in their own right. So maybe they weren't respected enough and didn't have enough self-esteem to be able to nurture. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So those uh, those old uh, silent movies about uh, the the kid being wrapped in a yeah. in a basket and placed on somebody's doorstep that that actually did occur. Oh yeah. Oh, that occurred in enormous numbers, and often it wasn't in on a on a doorstep. I mean, in in England, for instance, in the 18th and 19th century, there was a big business called baby farming, and which meant that you gave your baby away and asked no questions. And no, we, uh, we, we, we shudder at the thought of that today. Well, how, how could that be? Well, <laughs> because it was very class-ridden, and um, women that couldn't afford to raise their children. 
you have to realize a woman would have a baby every year and if they didn't die in childbirth and they had no way to feed these kids it was these places were like third world countries if for the for the non middle class and the non-wealthy. We're talking to Dr. Sherry Thurher, who's a professor at Boston University, and she's author of an intriguing new book entitled The Myths of Motherhood, published by Penguin. I'm Ken Robinson. You're listening to Sunday Digest on WGAR. Um, you, you touched on something just a, a few minutes ago about illegitimacy. Yes. Uh, today, uh, if, if a child is born out of wedlock, we really don't think about it a whole yes. lot. And we usually... Uh, society usually encourages the, mm-hmm. the, the, the mother and child to, to you know, stay together exactly. and bond together yes. and continue along their way. But, geez, I can remember when I was a kid, boy, that was something, that was something I know. terrible. Well, that boy. has flip-flopped in history. It's so interesting to realize that um, illegitimacy became really stigmatized fairly late. In the Middle Ages, for instance, people would bring their bastards to live with them in the family. It wasn't a big thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they would have, um, there's a big hospital in, in Italy called the Hospital for Innocente, the Innocents, and these were the, um, and these were, they weren't tainted, these were for illegitimate children who were not considered tainted by their illegitimacy. That all worsened after the Reformation when, um, um, out-of-wedlock babies became very, very stigmatized. And then, of course, in the 18th and 19th century, in the Victorian period, it was very, very looked upon as with askance. And that continued till the 1950s. What, what caused that? Uh, we look at that today and we say, wow, well, that really put uh, a lot of undue pressure and bias and... Uh, uh, hateful feelings toward not only the child but the mother who uh, I know well I think the church I mean it has always been a little anti sexuality and um, when the family you know with the Protestant Reformation the family became very important the idea of a mother and father and legitimate children that's that's when the family form as we know it started mm-hmm. and it became valued and very institutionalized so that illegitimacy therefore became very evil mm-hmm. before that with the, the early roman catholics didn't it wasn't such a thing mm-hmm. well, in fact i was going to mention the catholicism where the the virgin mary is, is held up as the symbol yes well uh, and keep in mind she was a virgin i mean the early roman catholicism valued celibacy above having a family Jesus was not married, and um, I mean the early um, saints couldn't couldn't have been married. Couldn't the women couldn't have had babies? Later on, they took women made women into saints who did have a child. But then they had to abandon their children. Actually, most of them abandoned their children. Well, the family forms were not as we know it. They people didn't sit around by the hearth in um, before the early modern period. Mm-hmm. Well, we have this romantic notion of what life used to be 100 or 200 years ago. Wrong, we watch uh, Little House in the Prairie, and, uh, you know, the mother's always there. Everybody's Big happy. Big mistake. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, all that is such a romance. There What's is, the reality of the it? The reality is there was a lot of bad stuff happening. There was a lot of poverty, a lot of abuse, a lot of alcoholism. And, I mean, so much so that, for instance, in the Middle Ages, you could read sermon after sermon by the priest saying, don't overlay your child, which translates translated means you shouldn't get so drunk and and fall asleep with your child in the same bed because so many babies were killed that way. Mm. Kids were very often left alone so that parents could till the land. There was lots of accidents. Huge, huge death rates of children and um, 
It's very hard to understand how they attach to their children or in what manner. And we think it's bad now. <laughs> and we think it's and we think it's bad now. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, in early American history, children were very valued because of their labor. So. Mm -hmm. um, very much so. In fact, there were. Uh, that's I guess that's how child labor laws came into yes. being. Yeah, yeah, they were used for their labor. So that goes to show how much we love children. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, uh, because in the Victorian period, for instance, the upper class children were um, just, that was sort of a, a, treated as cherubs, whereas the lower class children were treated as slaves and were very abused in mm -hmm. factories and, and so forth. Now, in uh, 19, uh, 18th century America, where where were the, the, the mothers uh, who were seeing their kids go off to work in the... Uh, Factories well, th and those were poor mothers, okay, mm -hmm. and um, they were probably working themselves, mm -hmm. and a lot of those kids didn't survive. Um. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, I, I guess up until maybe the the, uh, the beginnings of the 20th century, women and and children were considered uh, not much more than cattle. I, I, well, I in some circles, that was that was true. You know, the idea we have of the 1950s mom, the the um, the Ozzie and Harriet family, the Cleavers, that, that if that happened, it happened only for 10 years, only for the decade of the 50s. It didn't happen before that. that that's not the way children were raised in that women were much too busy. There weren't labor-saving devices. Um, lighting the stove was a big production. Um, and then they had so many children because they didn't use birth control that they couldn't devote themselves to any one child. We're talking about motherhood. I'm Ken Robinson on WGAR. You're listening to Sunday Digest. Our guest is Dr. Sherry Thur, who's professor at Boston University. She's author of the book, The Myths of Motherhood. And uh, Dr. Thur was also a resident of Cleveland at Indeed, one time. Indeed, yes, yes, I was. Ludlow Road in Shaker Heights 17 years ago. Wow. And enjoyed it. The town has changed a little the bit town since has, then. Oh, my goodness, it's unrecognizable. <laughs> Talking about the, the good old days of motherhood, let's go way back. Let's okay. go back to Cave Mom. Oh, Cave Mom. How yeah. did it all start? Yeah, well, How did motherhood I, I, begin? The reason why I wondered about that is I wanted to try to figure out what was basic and intrinsic to human parenting without a cultural overlay. So I kept going back and back and back. Well, one of the interesting things about the Stone Age, and keep in mind they did not write this down, writing was thousands of years <laughs> in the future, um, was that the gods were goddesses. The people worshipped female gods and very often they were pregnant. So um, I quip in the book, you know, women have come a long way down. <laughs> Since being worshipped for being pregnant, you, all their little goddess figures are these pregnant, pregnant women. That all changed. That all changed because at a certain point in history, men figured out that they had something to do with giving birth, mm -hmm. and then and they that, took over. And running things ever since. <laughs> it's it's amazing. Uh, the is there any evidence that uh, early moms? Uh, even had time to nurture or to... Oh, heavens no. I mean, I think they were, it was survival. And, and um, they were, I mean, it was a matter of feeding and preserving life. Um, so it's, it's very hard to know. The, you know, when you read the earliest written stuff, you, you read a lot about wet nursing. Some of the pictorial uh, portrayals are, are do a, convey a kind of, of a caring for children and... Um, they certainly, I remember the Sumerians reading this, the Sumerians, the moms buried their children under their own beds, so that mm. implies a real attachment. Well, we want to thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Very uh, insightful look at the myths of motherhood. Great. Delighted to be here. Glad to have you. We've been talking to Dr. Sherry Thur.
who's author of the book, Myths of Motherhood, published by Penguin. And we certainly hope you have a great Mother's Day. We'll see you next week. This has been Sunday Digest with WGAR's Ken Robinson, a public affairs presentation of 99.5 WGAR. The views and opinions expressed on the show were those of the participants and not necessarily those of WGAR, its staff and management. Join us next week for another edition of Sunday Digest. This show is brought to you by Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing. Panoramic, a vision moves in all directions. Based in beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona, Panoramic is set to be the hottest up-and-coming streetwear brand, featuring the most distinctive t-shirts ever created. Check out our extensive collection at plclothing.store. Not just a brand, but a movement to inspire a goal-oriented lifestyle, a goal to have a vision and stick to it. Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing at plclothing.store. Welcome to Ken's Corner. I'm Ken Robinson. If you work a non-traditional shift, like us in the news business, you already know that getting the rest you need can sometimes be a challenge. Dr. Rena Mehra with the Cleveland Clinic says it often comes down to controlling the amount of light in your sleeping environment. Blackout drapes are great and they can be very effective. So especially in our shift workers who work at night and then they're going home and they're trying to get sleep, it's hard to do that if you see the sun streaming through your windows. Mayra feels that the use of a sleep mask or earplugs can help night shifters get a good day's sleep. Shift workers, we actually say on your way home in the morning to wear sunglasses and then that can help kind of get you ready for home when you want to sleep and where you're going to have the blackout curtains and keep things very dark. So it's important to begin the process of letting your body wind down and prepare for sleep. It's often difficult for kids to separate a nightmare from reality and that can make them afraid to go back to sleep. Dr. Kate Eshelman with the Cleveland Clinic says there are a number of reasons why kids may experience nightmares. Oftentimes, um, nightmares come in periods of um, either increased fatigue or increased stress. And that could be a busy school day, you know, losing a soccer game, um, an uncomfortable encounter with a, a stranger or, or even a familiar person. Dr. Eshelman recommends looking at their daily activities to see if anything may be contributing to their nightmares and then try to reduce what's bothering them. She also believes it's best not to act alarmed if your child is awakened by a nightmare. With a typical nightmare, reassuring and, and putting back to bed is also helpful. Um, we want to limit the amount of stimulation so that they're not awake and, and staying up longer than they need to. Thanks for stopping by Ken's Corner, part of the K-Rob Collection. Learn more about our shows by checking out krobcollection.com or the K-Rob Collection Facebook page.